I just still you come together as a church family and it's just lovely. Isn't he lovely? He just comes and just embraces us and and especially especially I just I, you know as I was praying before, especially if you don't feel worthy, that's when it's that's when Christianity kicks in. It's when the gospel kicks in. Like that's the whole point. That we aren't. No one is. And yet when we humble ourselves and turn to him, he comes running towards us and just embraces us in his love. And I just think for a number of people this morning, there may be things you got up to this week that you're a bit ashamed of, but it's okay. His grace is sufficient and he loves you and he wants you to know that this morning. Okay, as we begin term four, we're going to start a a new series for the next four weeks uh, on hospitality. This is not just... um, not just something that we do in terms of like, I mean, I'm all over KFC and Burger King, everyone knows that. There's nothing, nothing wrong with eating good, some good food. But there's actually like, this is a spiritual practice. And so we're going to explore what that looks like. But also as part of this um, series, what we'd love to do over term four, the entirety of term four, uh, is what we're calling this initiative called 100 Tables. And uh, what, we're, what we're challenging uh, you to do as a as church whanau is to gather around the table as much as you can over the next 10 or 11 weeks or however many weeks it is till Christmas. Again, that's a bit scary, but that, that's the reality. Um, and so we'd love you to, uh, to open your home and to invite people in. And we're going to be spending the next four weeks exploring why it's such a, a potent uh, spiritual discipline, why it's so important. But as I was prepping this, and, and again, 100 tables is sort of like metaphorical. Like if we hit 200, that's cool. Like if we hit, it won't be cool if we hit 10, because it's like we can do 10 over the next couple of weeks probably with everyone here. But whatever, it's just a vibe, okay? Um, but as I was kind of getting ready for this and thinking about this, I used to get really insecure and a bit nervous as a pastor uh, around like, oh, if we give these sort of challenges, will the church respond? But now I'm just totally chilled out because you guys are so epic at going, what are we doing now? Oh, get around the table, hold up. All right, sweet, that's right, guys, we'll come around here. And so I've already heard of like heaps of people organizing different things and whatnot. So I'm just already just stoked as. What I'd love you to do when you have a table moment with your small group or however that's going to look is... Um, is I'd love you to take either a selfie or a sneaky. And I talked about this last uh, end of last term. Selfie is you just take a photo of everyone, everyone knows it's happening. Sneaky is when you take a photo and people don't know. Now, the reason you may want to take a sneaky is if you've invited your neighbours around or some people, you know, it could be a bit just, so take a sneaky. But then what I'd love you to do is send it through to us. So you could either stick it on our Facebook, closed Facebook group, or flick an email or whatever. And we just want to build this kind of beautiful picture of all these table moments as we go through the term, and, uh, and then we'll stick them somewhere, okay? So if you can do that, that'd be great. But here's why we're doing Doing this. Why we're doing this is because uh, a bunch of reasons. One of the reasons is that we live in a very fragmented world that really values individualism, and a lot of us are very isolated. And, and the practice of hospitality breaks the spirit of this age. So it's a very powerful and potent thing that we're doing. Uh, Secondly, uh, this is a very missional thing that we're going to do. Now, we're going to unpack this in coming sermons, particularly uh, in a couple of weeks. I've I've got a zinger lined up, ready to go. In terms of just how powerful uh, the table is in terms of reaching people with the love of God. It happens around the table. So we're going to be uh, talking about the missional dynamic of hospitality. But the third reason that we're doing it is that um, it's just been a big year, right? It's just been a monster. Like we had that, remember the cyclone? Like yesterday, it felt like it was like, you know, that whole cyclone vibe. And it's like, and before that, 
we had a rubbish summer. Do everyone again remember that? Like we just haven't had a good break for ages, it feels like. Because summer was rubbish, then we had the cyclone. And so, don't know about you, but I'm feeling a bit tired. But we anyone else a little bit weary on it at the moment? And so I'm like, I just as we were kind of thinking about our church and where we're at and, and what, how we kind of go pastorally into the space, it was like, you know what, we've done lots of seasons of prayer and fasting. But how about we have a season of prayer and feasting? Come on, church, right? How about we have a season where we just we just slow down and we just gather around the table and we just enjoy being together, right? And I want to say this before I dive into to some stuff. Um, what happens, though, when we talk about hospitality and about gathering around the table is that I know that there's a, a bunch of people in our church that feel very connected. Like, you turn up Sunday and it's like, it's just a whole lot of people you know and you're in home churches and you, and you just feel like you're really in the thick of it. But I just know there's a chunk of people in our church that don't feel like that's where they are. They feel a bit disconnected. They feel a bit isolated. They feel like, other people know everyone, but they don't know that many people. And, and my encouragement is, don't wait for the people you think that are in the core to invite you to a table. Initiate relationship. Initiate table moments. I'm just inviting everyone here, especially if you feel a bit disconnected. Invite people around the table in some way, shape, or form, right? That's how it happens. There's no shortcuts to building relationships together. There's zero shortcuts to getting history together. The way it happens is we gather around the table. So I'm I'm, I'm inviting you to just, let's, like my dream, the dream for the church is that this would be the richest place relationally in the Bay. Just dripping with good relationship vibes because we gather around the table together. Countercultural thing to do. So the word or the, the challenge I'm laying down is that, that for those that call this place home, even if you're new and you don't feel like you know that many people, is that you would, you would gather around the table. Is that okay to buy all good? So that's the, but, but we want to unpack why. And this morning I want to look at a couple of things. I want to look at the fact that hospitality reflects the heart of the kingdom of God. It's how the kingdom of God comes in lots of ways. And it's the hope of the kingdom of God. Okay, so those of you, Harvey very rarely has a three-point sermon, more of a buffet. Okay, so this is like for all the structured people, that's where we're going. That's the run checks. Ryan's having an ecstasy attack over here. Hallelujah. So the heart of the kingdom. The heart of the kingdom. Oh, come on. Let's just look at that slide for a second, friends. I mean, that in itself. I just actually, that slide reminds me that some people have the gift of hospitality. Me and Jen don't. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not saying this to dis on Jen or dis on me. This is me. We talk about this a lot. We're, Hospitality, it doesn't have to look like that. It can look like some Pizza Hut boxes. Hallelujah, right? (laughs) So that's how it's going to look in our house, okay? It's not going to look like that. I know there's some people in the church where that is just, that's every Sunday, right? And it's like for us, that's not, okay, anyway, whatever. So what, so the, the hospitality is at the heart of the kingdom. And this is super important. Like the question, like what does the kingdom of God feel like? What is the like? We are people of the kingdom. We are kingdom people. We're citizens of this new humanity. We're called to build God's kingdom. We're called to bless it. We're called to pray for it. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But what does it feel like when the kingdom is there? And this is because here's the thing if you know what it feels like, then you can spot it easier, then you can bless it easier, then you can participate it, uh, in it very easily, and you can create pockets of the kingdom if you know what it should feel like. And beautifully, one of the, the most 
the clearest images the Bible gives us of what the kingdom of God is like is that it feels like a great banquet. That's what the kingdom of God feels like. We've all had those moments where you're just around a table or in someone's lounge and you're like, this is awesome. This is so beautiful. This is the way life should be. Good food, people taking the mickey out of one another and pushing each other into the bushes and being larrikins and being a bit silly and having a go belly laugh and then the deep and meaningful starts happening and, and you're enjoying really good food and good drink and the fire's going in the middle of winter or the barbecue's going and Fat Freddy's is playing in the background during summer or whatever. There's those moments where you're like, this is it. This is the good life. This is rich, you know, and, and this is, I don't know if you can recall those sort of moments, the almost transcendent of moments of love and joy and peace and we're resting in, in the goodness of creation and, and drinking it in. This, like the, this is what the kingdom feels like. You know, in the Matrix, when it's like there's the single-celled protein combined with synthetic aminos, vitamins and minerals, everything your body needs, we grow it in a vat, you know. Does anyone remember that scene? This is, the, this is not what the kingdom of God is like, hallelujah. I mean, God could have set up creation where your body got everything you needed through that sludge, but God's not like that. Genesis 1, dripping with creativity and beauty and all the good food. Hallelujah. And so as the story of the Bible continues, we see how central food and celebration and banquets and hospitality are. God sets it up so that within Israel's culture, God's people, there's a culture of feasting and celebration three times a year as a whole nation. They had Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, to do uh, this, this, this week-long celebration uh, to do with the freedom from slavery and the deliverance of God's people. Uh, the Feast of Weeks uh, celebrated the culmination of the Exodus at Mount Sinai. And then, and then the Feast of the Tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember the giving of the law and to renew the covenant made between Israel and the Lord. Now, all of that sounds very like, oh, cool, religious ceremonies, blah, 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 you know, a week of it. It's not a week of boring church services, just so you know. Let's read in Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 onwards, what it feels like. Here's what God's command was. Here we go. This is for the feast of the festival of the tabernacles. Celebrate the. This is from God. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Okay, wine press. Just want to put that make that clear. Be joyful, command of the Lord. Be joyful at your festival. You who. You, okay, me, and your sons and daughters, cool, the kids, and your male and female servants, oh, cool, and the Levites, even the religious guys, <laughs> and the foreigners, and the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. Everyone is called to celebrate. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. So these guys, like in the Old Testament uh, culture of the Israelite nation, they would take up their tithes and offerings, but that was actually, a lot of it was used as just this giant savings account to burn through that festival week. Can you just try and get your head around that? Like you save and save and save, and then it's like this week, it's game on, baby. It is P-A-R-T-Y, because we got it. You know, it's like we are going to celebrate like bananas. So there's this whole rhythm within the, the culture of the Israelites. It's interesting that the Israelite nation wanders away from this 
uh, for a number of times. And then there's this moment in Chronicles where King Hezekiah rediscovers the, the law, the Torah, and, and he just and they realize, man, we've drifted away from well, the way we should be living. And so they restore this culture back to Israel after they'd wandered away, and they have this big celebration for Passover. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 22. For seven days they ate their assigned portion. That's a generous portion, just for the record. Some of you guys are like, man, I get nervous around the buffet. I'm like, will they run out? Because I need quite a big portion. <laughs> I got an assigned portion. Hallelujah. It's all good. They offered up fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. I love this, verse 23. They are having such a great party. They're like, we've got to keep this party going. Verse 20. The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. <laughs> so for another seven more days, they celebrated joyfully. Let's keep this party going. I mean, the, the closest thing that we can get in terms of like what our experience of this would have been like is church camp. I've got a slide here. I mean, this is honoring Ross uh, this morning. There's a great zinger of Ross and there's Mike Moriarty in the background having a good time as well there. Um, the closest thing that we can get in terms of our experience is just the best church camp you've ever been to. But even then, uh, it's not long enough because like, this is literally just an extended time of laughing and eating and dancing and worshipping. It's just the richest of times as, as, the, as the Israelite nation would get together three times a year to do this. <laughs> Love it. Because summer holidays kind of tap into it a little bit, but it misses the communal worship dynamic that was so joyful. So it kind of, so we, we're a little bit impoverished about how, how central feasting is to the kingdom of God. But wait, there's more. <laughs> If you buy now. Now, not only that, so, they, so, so God institutes within the Israelite nation these three festivals, but not only that, he's like, once a week as well, I want you to, to feast. It's called the Sabbath. You like to go in there and to pleasure stack over this one day a week, the Sabbath rest. Uh, oh, no, that's, I'm going to do another sermon actually on, on that in a couple of, in a month or so's time because Sabbath is so rich. But I'm like, once a week we get to feast. And then three times a year is central to the kingdom of God, right? Central to the narrative of the kingdom of God. It's not a culture of gluttony, though. And this is the difference, is that for the Israelite nation, those festivals had a beginning point and an end point. Sabbath has a beginning point and an end point. And between those times, life was lived very simply. Uh, and this is something, again, a rhythm I think we can reclaim in the church is that it was living simply and then celebrating well, rather than just the culture in the West of just party the full, every day's decadent. So again, I think there's some stuff in there. But fasting, but sorry, feasting and resting and celebrations, they were commanded by God. It was a culture of intentional celebrations. Uh, and so then Jesus turns up and it's like, how does the kingdom of God advance? Well, Jesus models this through hospitality. So next slide. So there's three statements that uh, they talk about why the Son of Man came. These, these three statements. And Mark, it says, the, uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In Matthew 11, 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Now, the first two statements are why Jesus came. But interestingly, the third statement is how Jesus came. He came into eating and drinking, baby. Hallelujah. Alan Hirsch says that we could eat our way into the kingdom of God and we could see the kingdom come by eating our way into it, by inviting people around the table. The, the meals of Jesus. So Jesus 
if you go through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus is either normally going to a meal or coming from a meal. Like his, just, like his whole way of doing ministry was around the table. And in the Gospels, uh, it's really interesting because these things aren't done because food's awesome. They are actually done because this is what the kingdom's like. That's why he does it. Uh, he's, so, he's eating and drinking so often that he's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, Jesus is not a glutton and a drunkard, but he's hanging out with people eating and drinking so often that he gets, like the Pharisees accuse him of that. It's this incredible, like what Jesus is doing is so rich because he's inviting people around the table that don't normally gather around the table together. He's inviting the outcasts of society. He's inviting, he's sitting there and everyone is equal around the table. And, and it's this beautiful counterculture that's getting established in the midst of the Roman Empire. The, the meals of Jesus represent his new world, his new kingdom. They, they, they're not just symbols but they're actually, they're actually what the kingdom of God looks like in miniature every time we gather around the table. And every time Jesus gathered around the table, that was happening. Peter Leithard in his book around this says this, For Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for the kingdom. As Jesus announced the feast of, as Jesus announced the, feast of the kingdom, he also brought it into reality through his own feasting. <laughs> Unlike many theologians, he did not come preaching an ideology or promoting ideas or teaching moral maxims. He came teaching about the feast of the kingdom and he came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking a lot. Now, I don't know about you, but I call myself a follower of Jesus. Are you joining the dots? So if Jesus did that a lot, that means I've got to do that a lot. Oh, that's good news. Hallelujah. We are people. We are the eating and drinking people. Meals represent friendship and community and welcome. Dividing walls come down. Jesus said this himself in Matthew 22. Like the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. But it's not just any banquet. If you read Matthew 22, in this parable he says this banquet is especially for those who feel like they don't deserve it. This is, for the, this is, for the, this is a banquet for those who have messed up. Jesus uh, came and, um, and he, he was like, you're welcome. This, this banquet is for the traitors and the unrespectable and the drunks and the druggies and the prostitutes and the mentally ill and the broken and the needy. The people whose lives are a mess and they know it, they are the people welcome to the table. They are the people welcome to Jesus' table. That's all of us if we're honest. If we're truly honest, we are all a bit of a mess and he welcomes us to the table. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Isn't he wonderful? It says in Song of Solomon, he brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Like we are all invited. This is what Annie shared was so beautiful for our, for our, you know, for our communion reflection. We're all welcome to the table. This morning, a bunch of you ate the body and bread, the body and blood of Jesus, the symbolic body and blood of Jesus, and you're a mess. Hi, am I welcome? This is the perfect. There's always a space for you at this table. It's so beautiful. Now, of course, the religious people don't like that Jesus is having fun in general, having parties. And Jesus has to respond to this a bunch of times, but we see this in Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but I love this. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus then tells three parables in response to this. Luke 15, uh, you can read this, the first parable where, uh, where it's the lost, uh, the lost sheep, uh, sorry, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Uh, so the lost sheep, 
he, he calls the neighbours together after he's found the sheep. He says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I mean, Jesus is in this, in this moment, he's defending parties. Here's why we should be having parties. Uh, and it's like, when, when people find the love of God, there is a moment to celebrate and to rejoice, hallelujah. Same language in the second one. Uh, this woman who lost the coin. Uh, and then it says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over, of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I've always read that and gone, that's when a non-Christian becomes a Christian, there's a party in heaven. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says, over one sinner who repents. That means for every single time that God challenges you about some brokenness or dysfunction in your life, and repentance means I'm going I'm to change the way I live. I'm going to be super intentional now about not doing this and living this way. I'm going to put some stuff in place. When you repent and turn away from that, heaven's rejoicing. So this morning, if there's some brokenness in you, we're not even preaching on sin or whatever, but it's like there's some brokenness or sin in you, and just in the worship and just in His presence, God has challenged you that you, it's like, mate, you need to stop hitting the bezies so hard. You know, what's going on there? You're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do whatever it may be, cream buns, you know, whatever. It's like whatever, there's, if you, there's a party in heaven. That's where the party is. So this is a community of perpetual joy because sinners like you and me keep saying yes to Jesus. That's what you, and so what do we do? Let's celebrate. <laughs> Let's rejoice. And then the parable of the prodigal son is unreal, right? I mean, they killed the fat and calf. He's come back. It's just the most incredible story of the love of God because the guy's motives are so rubbish. We'll come home because at least then I can eat and I'll be a servant. And then the father's running down the road and hugs him and it's all like, hey, kill the fat and calf. And I love this at the last bit. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the, in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Listen. There is a sound that comes from the Father's house, and it's the sound of music and dancing. Isn't that awesome? There is a sound to the Father's house, sound of joy and feasting and celebration. So one of the main ways the kingdom of God advances is around the table, and we're going to lean into that a little bit over these coming Sundays uh, and, and explain that because there's a twofold there's a twofold power to the table. Firstly, it's that place of connection together. And, I, and again, my challenge for us is that this term would just be a term of deep relationship for us all, where we gather around the table together a whole lot. But secondly, it's one of the most potent missional places you can ever create. It's around the table. And so we're going to be talking about inviting our actual neighbours, literal neighbours, not metaphorical neighbours, actual neighbours around the table. Right? We're not going to evangelize them. We're just going to have, a f- have food together. Is that right? And maybe our lives and time become a gospel, right? That we've embodied something that, that of God. We would become a living, right, right. So those are the two motivations. So it, it, it's, it, the kingdom of God is like at the, the, a banqueting and feasting and being gathering around the tables at the heart of the kingdom, but it's also how the kingdom comes. And lastly, it's the hope of the kingdom. It's... Uh, our hope is anchored in this great meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And in that meal, N.T. Wright says this, in that meal Jesus says, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is saying there's something about this meal that, that will find its full fulfillment in the future. 
Uh, The Last Supper looks back on the first Passover meal, but it also looks forward to the messianic banquet that's promised in Isaiah 25. In Isaiah 25, it says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. I love that, that destroying death is on the menu. Hallelujah. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces and he will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. I mean, the incredible hope that we have is that one day we're going to have a great banquet together with Jesus. Like That's the hope. And Jesus is like hanging out because he's like, I'm not going to drink wine again until we have that big party together. So Jesus is looking forward to another sip of wine. The next time Jesus has a drink of wine, it's going to be at the banquet that you are at with me, with Jesus, with all the people of the earth as we celebrate that God's kingdom has finally been consummated here on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. That is the Christian hope that we have. That is the Christian hope that we have, is that one day we will have a feast together. And so as we gather around the table every week, the the very act itself points to the eternal banquet to come with Jesus at this great messianic banquet. Incredible. In Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9, it says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Again, this is this picture of the age to come. The roar of rushing waters like pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given uh, to her to, to wear. And then the angel of the Lord said this to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. We will participate one day in that great banquet. And it's like that shroud, even now I can feel it, like is there like a shroud where we just don't see him the way that we should see him. And we don't, and like, and heaven is near, but it's like, ah, all that'll be gone. And like, and we will be like the, John the Revelator is like, it sounds like the roar of waters. And what's that roar? It's us just praising and adoring God. And it's like, and then it's like the wedding supper again. It's this beautiful picture of a banquet. But again, coming around full circle, we are the, we are the people who are the kingdom people, right? And what's the most famous prayer that we were to pray? Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as we get a vision of that future reality, our job is to see that plucked out of the future and brought into the presence that his, the present that his kingdom would come. And, and, and the table is one of those main places that, uh, that the kingdom of God is embodied. So this is a challenge for us, right? Because we, we live very isolated lives, we, we're rushing, we, we're busy, and we're too busy all the time, all that sort of stuff. But what would it look like for us this term, after a big year, to slow down a bit. And we've said to our church, no meetings. You know, in home churches, it's not a rule, but we're encouraging you to dial down the discipleship stuff and just eat together. We're challenging, we're going to, when the weather's a bit nicer, we'll have some picnics after church, blah, blah, blah. But what would it look like for us to just slow down this term and gather around the table a whole lot? You know what would happen? It'll transform our church. We've done this in the past. We've done this in the past. When, when we choose the table, it transforms our church. And it moves from, we just move from that disconnection to connection, from, from outside something to be known and to be in the house of God, a place of music and celebration and feasting. It'll change our church. I'll finish with this. We, um, when we started the church uh, five and a half years ago or so, um, it was weird because we started the church and everyone was new. So it was just awkward. 
It's just real awkward. Some of you guys remember this. Like we had barbecues at our place and it was just awkward. And, uh, and then we got to be launched the church and God blessed us and a whole bunch of people turned up. But again, everyone was new. And so I remember we did, we did this. We're like, we went through the devoted twos from Acts 2.42. And one of them was they were devoted to fellowship. That's a big line, right? Like devotion, like I'm going to be devoted, I'm going to be committed to relationship. And so we challenged the church and said we're going to have these moments called the big feed. And, and again, we're going to gather around the table together. And we did this big push. And people initially weren't that keen. And then I did a sermon and really rocked everyone up. And finally everyone signed up, which often happens in the early days. Different now. Uh, and and I, again, guys, the next Sunday, it was a different church. It was so beautiful. And the danger is, now that we've been going for a whole bunch of years, is that we lose our intentionality about the table. Because some of us have history together now, and we've got relationship. But this was always meant to be the community that invites people, especially the stranger or the person that doesn't, is not connected or disconnected. Or is, we are the community that invites people around the table together. Not the metaphorical table, the literal table. Because if we have metaphorical stuff, then God starts changing metaphorical things. But I want God to change this place and this community. So I'm going to get in a real table and invite my real neighbor to see what God can do when, when the church starts living like this. So I don't know what this looks like for you, but I'd love you to just be part of the story of what God wants. To, because this is we, we are massive on discipleship and massive on spiritual formation. And this is if Jesus did this, then we want to do it. So this is actually us learning a spiritual discipline. It's learning it just, just like prayer and reading the Bible and turning up to church. You're all healthy and holy habits. Gathering around the table is how Jesus did it. So we want to learn how to do it around the table. It sounds good to me. But we just got to organize ourselves a bit, right? And, we, and, and so um, what I'd love us to do this morning is, um, as I've been praying this morning, about this morning, um, firstly, I want, to just, I want to pray the Holy Spirit fills us with a real... Um, love for people around us here in church and that you would open your home and invite people around and just sit around the table. Do it after church today, take a sneaky or a selfie, send it through to us. And I just reckon it would just be so beautiful to see what God does. What is it like for you to play your part in this? But I especially this morning want to pray for people that um, have felt disconnected. And I just, I felt very strongly as I was driving here this morning, God's heart for those that feel really lonely. And I just felt like God wants to love you, just love on you big time this morning, just to really love you. And as we talk about welcoming, inviting people around the table, one of the things that if you've gone through rejection in your life is that you can be very nervous about doing this for fear of rejection. And the thing that if you've been gone through rejection in your life is that it's safer to isolate yourself because your heart isn't on the line, but it's lonely. But it's actually safer but I, but I think God by his spirit wants to gently bring healing this morning because whenever we engage in, in forming community and building relationship, our hearts are engaged. They're on the line. It's vulnerable. But that's where our healing comes. Most of our hurt in life comes through relationships and most of our healing comes through relationships as well. We just need to put ourselves out there again. I know it takes courage. And I felt the Holy Spirit want to say, I want to empower people. I'm going to give courage to people to open up their hearts and open up their homes to form manakitanga, to have that sense of community, of rich community again.